The real headline to this story is rebellious prophet hates God for loving his enemies. And the point of this book becomes really clear in the second half of this book. So we left off Jonah on the beach, covered in whale vomit, finally deciding that he wasn't in, in charge, that God was in charge. We look over in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Imagine Jonah, just covered in these whale stomach juices, right? Seaweed wrapped around his head. He's a mess. And God comes to Jonah again and says, hey, remember that message I gave you before? Go to Nineveh, tell them to repent. And tell them to turn from their sin and that they have 40 days. Now, Nineveh was a large city and it would have taken several days to walk from one side of that city to the other. And Jonah gets one day into his walk across Nineveh and decides, okay, here's a good time to give this uh, message from the Lord. He gives five words in the Hebrew language. That's his message. In English, it's this. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Strange sermon, right? That's it. No introduction, no jokes, no poems. He doesn't even tell them who he is or what they have done. And this is a pagan city. They have little to no reference point for what's going on. He doesn't even mention God. Here's the next Sunday's sermon. You ready? You better get right y'all. And we're going to go home. Boom. Nailed it. Jonah does the bare minimum. I'm skeptical he even really tried. But the message worked. The entire city, the king, and the Bible even says the cows repented. I don't know how that works, but I think the Bible probably mentions the cows because it's just they're trying to go overboard and say everyone repented. These people heard a message from God, and they take it very seriously. They cover themselves in ashes, they tear their clothes, and they weep, and they cry out for mercy from God. And the king even goes as far to command everyone to fast and to repent. Chapter 3, it says, the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by decree, the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste of anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This account in God's word proves that it's not the messenger, but it's the message, right? Jonah did the bare minimum, and God still used it to get these people to repent. So your excuse that you can't talk to people about Jesus doesn't really fly, right? Just obey God and, and let him do the rest. But let's get this straight, right? God told Jonah to go and do something. 
Jonah said, no. God sent a storm. Jonah said, no. God sent a whale. And now finally, Jonah says, fine, I'll go. God moved heaven and earth to get Jonah to obey. But these pagan Ninevites heard five words and turned their whole entire lives upside down. This is another instance of these people that were non-believers listening to God quicker and more passionately than professional Christians. Jonah 3.10, when God saw that they did, he saw all this that Nineveh had done, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. God forgives the repentant. It's as simple as that. God forgives the repentant. But you're never going to believe what happens next, though, right? Up to this point, Jonah made mistakes. He disobeyed God. But things turn really dark next. Chapter 4, verse 1. Look at Jonah's reaction to God forgiving these people. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and a God and a merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is furious that this five-word sermon worked. And he finally shows his true colors. The truth finally comes out. He hates these people. He wants to see them Burn. See, God followers are just as capable and skilled at hating other people as anyone else. Jonah finally starts yelling at God and shaking his fist. This is why I didn't obey God. God, I knew you were too compassionate. I knew that you would show mercy. I hate these people. I want to see them die. See, Jonah didn't run from God's command because he was scared or because he was lazy. Jonah ran away from the commands of God because he knew that God would show mercy on these people that he hated. Jonah knew that God would forgive the repentant. First, he asked the sailors to kill him on that boat rather than obey God because he hated these people. And now he asked God to kill him rather than to see these people turn to God and repent. He says, I would rather die than live with a God that forgives my enemies. These Assyrians were the enemies of Israel, but Jonah hates more than just the armies. He hates, he hates the women. He hates the children. He hates the cows. Jonah 4.3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Imagine the hate that is in Jonah's heart. He says, kill them or kill me, God. But God doesn't kill Jonah, though. For the same reason that Jonah just mentioned, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger and abounding in love. 
but hate and revenge and bitterness are a funny thing. We drink in these poisons and we hope our enemies die. The people of Nineveh were swimming in the mercy and grace of God, but Jonah is drowning in depression and spite. Hate hurts you. Hate breaks you. Hate is the beam in your eye. Jonah thinks he's better than the Ninevites. He thinks he's got, uh, he's up on a different pedestal to them. He looks down on them. But think about who Jonah has become. He's openly upset at God for not killing a city full of men and women and children and cows. Jonah goes and sits on a hill overlooking the city, and he waits to see what happened. He's just hoping that God changes his mind or the people rebel. Despite Jonah's disobedience, bitterness, and hate, eventually God sends a leafy plant to shade Jonah from the scolding heat. But as time goes by, God also sends a worm to eat that plant. And Jonah again asks God to kill him. This hate in Jonah's heart has gnarled and twisted it. He is an angry and a bitter and a broken person, and hate has poisoned him. Hate hurts you. God explains to Jonah that that leafy plant that he sent to shade him was meant as a lesson to Jonah. See, Jonah had more humanity for a plant than he did for a city full of women and children. But Jonah didn't want to hear this lesson. Jonah's the first tree hugger, right? He, he cares more about the plant than he does about the people. He wept over a plant dying, but hated the people of Nineveh so much that he wanted to see them suffer. And God says to Jonah, aren't people more valuable than plants? Jonah, is it weird that I would care about people and that I would forgive them when they repent? God says to Jonah, you got all emotional about this inanimate object, this plant, but don't you care about the lives of the Ninevites, the men, the women, the children? Don't you even care about the animals that are there? And that's the end of the book. We don't ever get Jonah's answer. The book just ends. Well, we don't get Jonah's answer to this question because this book is actually a question for you, the reader. Tim Mackey says, the question that is posed to us by the book of Jonah is, are you okay with God loving your enemies? In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified. Have you ever been mad at something good happening to someone that you hate? And you might say, I don't hate anybody. Hate's a strong word. When you want to see bad things happen to somebody, that is hate. You could call it whatever else you want to call it and diminish it and say, well, they deserve it. That is hate. When you want to see people suffer, you are like Jonah. You see someone get a promotion. And that stirs up that envy and jealousy in you. You see someone get a new car or they get married and you see these good things happen to them. And these three words ring in your mind, right? Must be nice. 
You don't think they deserve it. You aren't happy for them. You would rather them get what's coming to them, right? Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus. Be careful when you wish that someone gets what's coming to them. You should be happy that you don't get what's coming to you. Ephesians 2, 1 tells us about our story. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in what you used to walk, when you were conformed to the ways of this world and of the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us lived among them at one time, fulfilling the cravings of our flesh, indulging in its desires and thoughts. When you begin to look around and you think you know better than everybody else and that you're on a different level, remember who you were and where you came from. It goes on, it says, like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace that you have been saved. It's not because of your works. It's not because you're better than anyone else. You were in the same boat as that person that you looked down on. But God is rich in mercy. And God forgives the repentant. God is swimming in mercy like Scrooge McDuck swims in his gold coins. God is wealthy in mercy for both you and your enemy. You were dead. You were worldly. You were a follower of the devil, filled with your wicked cravings, indulging in the desires of your flesh. But because of his great love for us, God has enough grace for you and your enemy. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus. Love those that have hurt you. Forgive those that have sinned against you. People that truly understand the grace that God has shown them will show grace for others. Even when they disagree. Even when they think the other person is wrong and I am right. A person that understands how much God has shown me grace will show grace to those around them. So hey, hothead. Hey, rage monster. Hey, person with anger problems. There is no one that is hurting you more than you're hurting yourself. Hate hurts you. Are you glad when God loves your enemies? Are you reminded that when God extends mercy to those that have hurt you, that it reveals how much mercy he has for you? As sinners, we should be encouraged and excited that God's mercy extends so far and deep. God's mercy is available to all those who repent. God forgives the repentant. Simple as that. You can never be so far from God that his mercy can't reach you. And that is true for you and true for your enemy. William Hyde prays, May I count no sin 
too heinous to forgive. No man too hardened to reclaim, and no person too fallen to uplift. The book of Jonah holds up a mirror to our own hearts. How do you feel when God is good to your enemies? Remember the headline, Jonah was a rebellious prophet that hated God for loving his enemies. And in the end, hate had twisted Jonah's heart into the heart of a monster. Now, presumably, Jonah told someone this story, or he wrote this book himself and realized how terrible he had been, and just didn't include the rest of it. Because we don't ever see the happy ending. And in the end of this book, Jonah ends a hateful mess. But the book of Jonah asks you this question, this question this morning. Are you okay with God loving your enemies? But thank God that Jonah wasn't like Jesus. Jonah is the opposite of Jesus. Jesus lowered himself and became a servant and was willing to go all the way to the cross for those that hurt him. People spit in his face. They tore his hair out. They beat him. And Jesus forgave all those that sinned against him. And even on the cross, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Jesus. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. So worship team comes. This is an easier thing to talk about than it is to do. We are taught that we have to bow out our chest and stand up for ourselves. And sometimes that may be appropriate. But we also know the difference between hate and anger and bitterness. We know that what that does to our hearts and our minds. Hate hurts me. So who in your life are you happy when they stub their toe or they get pulled over by the police or their significant other breaks up with them? Who in your heart are you constantly saying serves them right? That's your enemy. God loves your enemy. God wants good things for your enemy. Don't let hate turn you into Jonah. Because hate hurts you. Heavenly Father, I pray you root out any bit of bitterness and anger and hate in our hearts. God, as these excuses are already flooding our mind as to why our hate is okay and why our enemy deserves it, help us to remember who we are in you and how we were forgiven. But help us also to remember who we are without you. And how hopeless and wicked 
lost and dead in our sins we were. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people of love, people of mercy. Help us to forgive the repentant. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you've accepted that forgiveness that Christ gives us. Maybe you haven't ever repented of your sin. This promise that we see here in the Ninevites repenting is a promise that you can claim today. God forgives the repentant. Can you go back to a time and a place in your life where you called out to God and said, God, I know I am a sinner. I know that I deserve hell. God, please forgive me. I know I can't work to you, but I accept the gift that you have given me. Can you go back to a time and a place Now, the words don't have to be exactly that. But you do need to understand that you're a sinner and that sin separates you from a holy God. That there's a penalty for that sin. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. It's a separation from God forever and eternity. But Romans 5.8 tells us that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God forgives the repentant. Even though we were sinners, Christ laid down his life. He lived a perfect and a holy life 2,000 years ago. God in the flesh, born of a virgin. And he died on a cross in your place for his enemies, those that stood against him and rebelled against him. Me, you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is a gift. Your salvation, redemption, a relationship with God, the one that made you and created you. You could call out today. Words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's about a decision in your heart let go of what you thought was getting you to heaven and realizing that it's all about Jesus. You need to know you're a sinner. Jesus paid that price of your sin and put all your faith in what he did on the cross. As we sing, why don't you call out to God if you've never done that today? you've never done that, you can't go back and look and find a place where you have repented of your sin. Accept it. God forgives the repentance. I don't care what you've done. Call out to him.